Hello, Marvelites! You are listening to This Week in Marvel, episode number 394. I'm Ryan, a.k.a. Agent M. And I'm Lorraine Sink, your friendly neighborhood spider woman person. Yeah! I yeah! Love- spider women people are just like all of us. I'm a double hyphenate. Ooh, congratulations. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, there's so much going on. There's things that we can't yet talk about, but next week we're going to get into it. That's a little tease. But we do have some really fun news this week. We sure do. Yeah. Um, who likes Marvel Games news and announcements? I sure do, double hyphenate. <laughs> That's me, double hyphenate woman. Uh, but we've got some, uh, which you guys are going to hear first on this week in Marvel. Oh, I got to say the name. She said the name, you guys. She said the name. Do you, do you like pick up on that in movies and I television love it. shows? It's my favorite. All the time. I like I, someday. I just want to like be watching Dragon Ball Super and go, "Wow, that was a Dragon Ball Super." Oh boy, <laughs> no, no, nope. that, that, that one doesn't work. Just nope. no, it was perfect, Ryan. Thank you. Uh, but today we're gonna have on some cool stuff about Marvel Strike Force and bump, bump, bump the X Men. Yeah, so I I actually got to uh, jump on the phone with some folks from uh, the team who makes Marvel Strike Force. And it was really cool because they they said, we've got a whole bunch of really neat X-Men things that we're going to be bringing to the game. Do you guys want to talk about it? And I said, why, yes, we do want to talk about it. And here we are talking about it. So we get to actually announce some stuff here. They're going to be introducing really the most powerful team the game has ever seen, which is the X-Men. And that means Phoenix, Colossus, and Psylocke will be joining the Marvel Strike Force universe. Heck to the yeah. Yeah, and in the game already, you know, we have Wolverine, we have Storm. Um, I have a very powerful Wolverine on my squad. Uh, I don't have Storm, but uh, the two of them, they're already in there. Now you're going to have more, plus, you know, obviously Magneto's in there, the Mutant Brotherhood, but they're going to be coming in different ways and shapes and forms. So part of our announcement is letting you guys know how are you going to be able to get your hands on all these wonderful mutants. Yeah, get yourself some mutants. That's what the kids say. And the story is going to be following the Psylocke's event campaign. It's secondary to the overall content release. um, And we probably don't need to go into too much detail about that. But the TLDR is, after the X-Men are captured by Ultimus, Psylocke must lead a stealth team of strike dot with dots in it. Yeah, what is that Martial artists. Uh, Acronym. Yeah, one of them. One of them suckers. Of martial artists on a rescue mission to limbo. Oh, hell. Yeah. Oh, not hell, limbo. Yeah. Well, it's, it's, it's like a hell. It's, it's like, like a purgatory. It's like you have a big neighborhood and it's all the, the nasty places. And like one street is hell. One street is limbo. One street is is like Niflheim. You know what? I'm all about that limbo because it gives you good uh, back flexibility. I'm going to go back to Strike Force now. Uh, so one of the things we want to make sure you guys know about is how these characters are coming because Psylocke will, will come out through a focused event campaign. And then Colossus will have a Colossus Blitz and Phoenix will be available through uh, an actual legendary event. What I thought was really neat when I was talking to the folks who make the game, uh, in, in particular, Chad Wavel Jimenez, uh, who's the creative director for the game, he was talking about how this X-Men team is going to work together. And like having all X-Men on your squad makes your team more powerful, adds a whole bunch of fun things to it. Uh, so I asked Chad and the team to give me some details on what these characters are going to be able to do, like what makes them cool. And so Psylocke, who comes out first with the Psylocke-focused event campaign, she'll be able to take any debuffs your team has and throw them on the enemy. She'll be able to negate the enemy's positive effects. She'll go through heavy armor. Colossus, who's going to be available next in the Colossus Blitz, he becomes unkillable. Dang, he's a tank. Yeah, he's a real... I I haven't seen him yet. I hope he has the thigh-high boots. That's all I know. Um, I just want a fastball special. Will we get one? Yes. Lorraine, we're getting that fastball special. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So important. Yeah, so when you have Wolverine on the team with Colossus, Wolverine's ultimate ends up changing to the fastball special. What? So with a team up, you get, you know, the heavy single target damage that is kind of perfect. That's dope. Yeah. Phoenix is... 
bonkers. So Holler they, at your girl. Yeah, she's going to be coming out later with the legendary event. So she spawns in-game as Jean Grey, not as Phoenix. When she's Jean Grey and she gets killed in a battle, she resurrects, becomes Dark Phoenix, and gets super strong. Her entire set of abilities change at that point. That's so sick. <laughs> That's like you end up getting almost two characters out of her. That's literally my dream. Like if somebody says something rude to you at a gas station and then you turn into the Dark Phoenix. But I guess that's not really dying. It's just, no, too weird. Triple P didn't care for that one either. How often are you getting insulted at gas stations? Never. I don't drive. Oh, okay, good. Uh, We talked a little bit about Wolverine. Uh, Storm also in the game now, but she becomes more important for an X-Men squad, all those bonuses and all those buffs and stuff. Well, she's the ultimate leader, so it would make sense. Yes. Speaking of good leaders... Cyclops is coming to the game at a later on that point, but that's just a personal opinion. Oh, no. I'm Team Storm. Okay, great. 100%. I I know people stand for Cyclops, and I respect them, but I do not agree. Yeah, no, they're wrong. It's fine. Yeah. Uh, Sorry. At me. (laughs) But uh, Cyclops will be coming to the game at a later date. We don't have an exact timing on it, but this part is wild. I love this. Yeah, right? When you have Cyclops on the same (laughs) squad. Yes. When you have Cyclops (laughs) on the same squad as Jean Grey, uh, and when she dies... Cyclops gains offense up. He also screams, falls to his knees, yells, no, rips off his visor and optical blasts the sky. His ultimate move attacks all with a sweeping optical blast. It's a fatality when he gets five stacks of charge. He takes off his goggles and obliterates everyone and screams. That is the ultimate. Tim Hernandez at Marvel Games, you're having too much fun. Yeah, this is... <laughs> you have to be stopped because this is so hilarious. Best. <laughs> oh my God, I love it. Oh my gosh, it's so good. I To me, it's all building up to the Jean Grey Cyclops. Like, I, you need to if have the If nothing else, just play to get to know. Yeah, it was fantastic. So you may be asking again, hey, guys, when are these characters coming? They're soon. It's real soon. This is just the announcement that these characters are on their way. We don't have exact dates for uh, for them. But as we mentioned, you're going to get Psylocke first, then Colossus, Phoenix slash Jean Grey, and then later on Cyclops. But stay tuned real soon. Follow the Marvel Strike Force channels because they're going to have all the, the specifics. Well, and you should get on the game and play and start unlocking more things and getting those shards so that you can keep your game mechanics going to unlock more stuff. Yeah, get Furry Daddy Wolverine, get yep. yourself Leader Storm, and then get your squad ready. Squaggles! <laughs> uh, all right, so that is our, our big top news for this episode. Thanks to Marvel Strike Force for letting us do the announcement there. It's super fun. But our interview this week is with writer and journalist Anne Nascenti, uh, Typhoid Mary, Longshot, Spiral, Mojo, Blackheart, All of them we have because of Anne and her co-creators, and we're going to get into that later in the show. But for now, time for things we're hyped about this week, comma, including news. Ooh, news. Okay, how about this? X-Men Day happened. Yeah. It did. I got to show off pictures of me and Hugh Jackman being best friends from 2012. I feel like they're fully photoshopped. They are. Do not put that in the world because that is not true. That is 100%. I have I I didn't even post the photos of us that were taken in mid high five. Like you could see the <laughs> motion blur of our arms moving. Yeah, I've got those with me and Hugh Jackman. Yeah, I just posted a cosplay I did of Rogue for Halloween, and I am not good at cosplay, but I really like doing it. So it was great. You're welcome. Uh, but there's something else cool also going on. Dark Phoenix tickets are on sale. I'm ready for it. Who will sit on the throne? Nope, wrong thing. Uh, nope. No. Wait, does that happen yet? Nope. Last episode is next week, right? Yep. Two days after we do this, (laughs) right? Yep. Should I spoil it? I know the ending. No! I don't know the ending. I I love just getting your two reactions. You're a monster. (laughs) I know. It's great. (laughs) Uh, But, you know, thinking about Dark Phoenix, the original story debuted in the 1980s. And, of course, we've been celebrating the 80s all month long uh, in, in our notes. Who wrote this? Me. How convenient. It was great. Uh, <laughs> You're so welcome. Well, I, I thought it was cool. You know, every month of Marvel's 80th anniversary, which is this year, we're celebrating a different decade. This is the 80s. And uh, this story took place in the 80s, although the film does p- take place in the 90s. It's like 1991, I think, oh. which is a fine year. Yeah. But by that point, we'll be celebrating the 1990s for our 80th anniversary. June yeah. is our 90s month. Yeah. It all works out. Look at that. Yeah. 
Everything. And I got the shoulder pads to prove it. Do you have shoulder pads? Everywhere. (laughs) I don't know what that means. (laughs) You shouldn't. Anyways, next up, Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. It's finally back. Yeah. That was a wild premiere. I really love the first episode of season six. Clark directed it. So make sure you're checking out Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Friday nights on ABC or, you know, on the ABC app and and streaming it afterwards. I, I watch it on Hulu. That's just me. Yeah, I like to DVR it, baby. Yeah. Okay, so uh, it is about time for the August comic book announcements. There's a a catalog that comes out in the middle of every month that's ahead of time. Why are you snickering? What's going (laughs) on? Because the way Ryan writes notes, one of the books will be absolute carnage, but he wrote it as abs carn. Yeah. (laughs) Think about it. Hey, it's me. They call me abs. Abs carn. (laughs) That's the new villain in the book. It's Abs Karn. Yeah, his <laughs> he gets symbiote abs, and then he fights everybody with his eight pack. So thick. <laughs> All right. Uh, so we have so many uh, things going on uh, on one of my other shows, Marvel's The Pullist. Tucker and I were able to announce some stuff, show off some covers for the first time. So we showed off covers for House of X and Powers of Ten, issues two and three. We showed off a cover for issue two of Abs Karn, aka Absolute Carnage, number two. We got to announce Future Foundation, which is being written by Jeremy Whitley, art by Will Robson. And uh, there's a new Marvel Spider-Man Velocity comic, which is set in the world of Marvel's Spider-Man exclusively for PlayStation 4. That one's going to be an all-new original story. I love that, which we saw debut in Spider-Geddon. Yeah. Um, I'm also very excited about this. Power Pack is back. Yeah. Yeah, it's a Power Pack attack. It's Power Pack number one. That's right, Jack. All right. <laughs> It's going to have uh, Marvel creators Louise Simonson and June Brigman. They're teaming up for Power Pack Grow Up number one, and it's a new adventure for Marvel's young heroes. And it's going to be out in August, at the end of August. But it's going to have Alex and Julie and Katie and Jack Power. And I, I've actually really enjoyed seeing Julie Power grow up when she makes appearances at the beginning of Rainbow Rowell's Runaways Run. But I'm I'm excited to see her like hang with her sibs. Are you caught up on Runaways? No, clearly I'm not. Something oh. bad happened? Oh. No, don't tell me. Keep keep reading, True Believer. No. Well, no, I know they... I don't know what you're doing with your hands. That's inappropriate. Yeah, yeah But that's she it. didn't, like, get murdered. No. Okay, I'm only a few issues behind. God. Oh, I don't know. <laughs> God, I, I got worried. I was worried. I was like, are they going to resurrect her? Um, <laughs> never She's know. not dead. She's fine. Okay, great. She's yeah, fine. no. She's just Listen, sad. I stand for Carolina and Nico, so that's fine. <sighs> yeah. I like I like it. I like it all. Yeah, so the original team of June and Louise, and then there's even going to be a special bonus story by Louise Simonson and Guruhiru, which makes so me cool. so happy. I love the Guruhiru ladies. They're great. Yeah. Um, there, we're also able to talk about Fantastic Four Yancey Street, which is the first in a series of new stories, which are going to be kind of like these regular releases in the vein of Web of Venom. Web of Venom comes out like once every three or four months. It ties into the main Venom book. And so these are going to be about the Fantastic Four. So you're going to get this in-continuity Fantastic Four story, but it's also going to be kind of timeless. You can pick it up whenever you want. The first one, the Yancey Street story, is by Jerry Duggan and Greg Smallwood with a look at what the family's move to Yancey Street means to them and their neighbors. If you get a chance, go to Jerry's social media and look through his like images because he has um, he has an image he commissioned Greg to do of Doctor Strange, which is gorgeous. It looks like it should just be a cover for one of our books, but it's a like his personal piece. That's so awesome. I'm also just so happy Yancey Street gets its day. I hope the Yancey Street gang will come back. I'm sure. Oh, let's talk about this. Age of Conan Valeria. It is the origin story of Valeria, a badass swordswoman and pirate, not to be confused with Valeria Franklin. No. <laughs> Just for clarity. Valeria Richards. Oh, pardon me, Valeria Richards. It's going to be by Meredith Finch and Anique. Meredith is also writing some Savage Sword of Conan, and this is Anique's first interior work for us. Also, if I'm saying that name wrong, just. Let me know. At us. Just tell us because we read things, but we don't always know for a thousand percent sure until we hear that person say their name out loud. Yeah. But she's great. She, I was looking up some of her art and, and she's done a, st- a bunch of stuff for other comic book companies. She actually did some Red Sonia stuff for another company uh, and she's rad. She's really, really good. Very appropriate. Totally. Uh, 
talent talent uh, not casting is it considered casting? Yeah, it is actually. They use sometimes they use the term casting for um, for the books. Well, there you go. Yeah. Uh, and then finally, we could talk about Ghost Spider number one, which is going to be written by Shauna McGuire. Your best friend. Yeah. Uh, but this one is by Shauna McGuire and art by Takeshi Miyazawa, where uh, Gwen actually starts going to Earth 616 to go to school. She'll be attending Empire State University and splitting her time between Earth 65 and Earth 616, which is going to be neat. I love it. Yeah. That's it for the August Comics News. Of course, the full previews will be out in you know the next like week or so, so stay tuned for that. We also have, because we talked about the 1980s, our episode of Marvel's The Pullist about the 1980s should be out really soon. Uh, that one was a lot of fun. Tucker and I talked about a bunch of issues, Squadron Supreme, Daredevil, and um, a whole bunch more. So it's a whole 80s pull list. Yes. We just grabbed like, I think we grabbed six issues. How uh, many spiky shoulder pads are in there? Not as many as you think. Do we get a Susan Storm mullet? I didn't choose any mullet. I didn't choose John Byrne FF. No, I chose Sensational She-Hulk. Oh, so good. Yeah. So good. That's like one of my favorite things ever is her original, like Savage She-Hulk into Sensational She-Hulk is so good. Yeah. Uh, we have to check those out. The Twim URC should be available now. Pull list will be available in a couple of days. But you know, speaking of the history stuff, time for this week in Marvel history. We are looking at the week of May 17th through the 23rd across 80 years of history. Uh, Going to go back to May 17th, 1977, when Jocasta debuts, even though uh, she's not officially named in that issue. She's the Bride of Ultron. She is. Uh, it is in Avengers number 162. And what we recently discussed, because we chose these issues, C.B. Sobolski and I, to talk about on our 70s Twim URC, is that George Perez was like 24 years old when he drew those. And they are incredible. Outrageous. Yeah, it, that art will knock your socks off. Uh, May 20th, 1980, Incredible Hulk number 250 by Bill Mantlo and Sal Buscema teases a whole bunch of really fun international characters, giving us our first looks at Sabra, Collective Man, Arabian Knight, and the Soviet Super Soldiers. It is literally one page where Silver Surfer's like, oh, cool, what's happening everywhere? And like, Namor pops his head up above the water. I think he like Doctor Doom's like, "What are you doing?" It's this fun thing, but <laughs> Doctor Doom sounds exactly like Fat Albert. <laughs> hey, hey, hey! My name is Doom. Anyway, perfect. Uh, we get to see like really, really quick s- shots of these characters, um, and it's deep because they would later show up in a whole bunch of other comics. I particularly love Soviet super soldiers because that's where you would get Ursa Major. Yeah. Also, going international, but not super international. Not intercontinental, <laughs> anyway. Um, Canada but- is very upset with you right now. <laughs> It's not that international. We're we're fam. On May 17th, 1983, Alpha Flight number one by John Byrne launches, giving the world a true gift, Puck, um, one of Wolverine's best friends, a fellow hairy little dude, and a great character with a foul mouth who used to smoke cigars and no longer does. He's, no he's cleaned it up. I do love that CM Punk on his run with Puck made sure that he was wearing like nicotine patches. To deal with this cigar smoking. Oh, also debuting in this issue was uh, Marina, Beta Flight, and Gamma Flight. Yeah, all the flights. All right, next up, May 17th, 1988. Akira number one was released through Marvel's Epic Comics imprint, a special creator owned line that also allowed more mature content. And a lot of cool, interesting stuff has come through Epic. Oh, yeah. It was colored by uh, Steve. Olaf, and there's some discussion about how this was the first big ongoing comic that used digital coloring. It's friggin' Akira, so it's incredible, but also the coloring on this run is straight up dope. The comic by Katsuhiro Otomo is incredible. Of course, there's the movie that was released in like 88, 89. Uh, My brother used to watch it a lot and not let me join. Oh. That's a fact. I was probably too young. It's real messed up and weird. Yeah. I love it. I love, love, love Akira. It's um, been homaged so many times, but these comics are, are really fascinating. It took me a while, but I ended up collecting all the. Th- we released 38 issues of Akira that were colored. It was the first time they were colored, and it's really interesting style because I think Steve was using computer coloring that really hadn't been used 
regularly at this time. They're gorgeous issues. They're prestige format because it's from Epic. And uh, Well, computers were essentially boxes at this point. They were like big calculators. So yeah. to think that you're doing digital coloring this early, like, it's pretty impressive. Yeah, and it's it's really awesome. If you get a chance, you can find these at like a, you know a local comic shop, used or at a comic convention. I suggest anybody who loves comics at least pick up a couple of these just to see what they were like. We did it. That's all of history. Nope. That's everything that's ever happened in history. That's the only history that's ever existed, except for May 23rd of 2001. The team who'd later be known through numerous changes as Ecstatic. David also just like a great name. Uh, debuts in X Force number one sixteen by Peter Milligan and Mike Allred, iconic. Uh, though many of them died off the bat. <laughs> Yikes! But uh, most importantly, Dupe arrives in this issue, and Dupe is the best. Yeah, I love Dupe. He's like a little green bean with arms. And he's so powerful. He's, he's so powerful. So good. If you've not read any comics with Dupe in him. Start here. It gets weird. It's real strange. It's fascinating. One of my favorite issues, I think I've said this to you before, is the Jason Aaron edition or issue of Wolverine and the X-Men. I think it's like number 19 where it's an all dupe issue and it's just like dupes adventures and you see all the cute stuff he does, but also how he constantly is saving the world. But he's just like, I'm a little green bean. Yeah. Uh, There's, I think, (laughs) Allred or somebody, there's one image of him with his teeth. He's like baring his teeth and he's about to eat some. I think he's eating a person and it's horrifying. Oh, yeah. I love it. It makes me so happy. Uh, How about May 23rd, 2014, X-Men Days of Future Past comes to theaters. Yeah. And May 18th, 2018, Deadpool 2 lands in theaters. That was last year. That was a year ago. What? Doesn't that seem like 17 years ago? Yes. I went and saw it at the Alamo, and they had special chimichangas. Aww. It was so good. Nice. If you get a chance, find the good housekeeping issue, the Deadpool <gasps> good ca- housekeeping issue. It's a tremendous feat. <laughs> it was wonderful. All right, that is our history, but we also have to talk about top books from this week's episode of Marvel's The Polis. Those were Guardians of the Galaxy number 5, Immortal Hulk number 17, Spider-Man Life Story number 3, and War of the Realms number 4. All right, you guys, subscribe to Marvel's Pull List wherever you get your podcasts and watch video versions on Marvel.com because I love Ryan and Tucker, my sweet baby boys. <laughs> All right, it is time for our interview and it is with Anne Nascenti. Uh, so, you know, we've been celebrating the 80th anniversary and she was on staff here at Marvel mm-hmm. in the 80s and she wrote some really incredible, iconic Marvel stories. Long Shot, which is Anne with Arthur Adams and Wills Portacio four or five issue limited series but it's so cool and so weird like i think one of the things that she does that's so underrated is how weird she gets in her stories oh my god well think about mojo alone you know thank goodness for Anne, because if we didn't have mojo we wouldn't have x babies this is true so why even why even go on yeah but yeah so good i recently was rereading a bunch of her daredevil work with john ramita jr johnny jr in the 80s he gets fashion like nobody's business. Them pads, those them shoulder pads. shoulder pads and belly shirts. A dude could rock a belly shirt in John Romita Jr. comics like nobody's business. It was a special time in history for fashion. It was great. Makes me so happy. There's some really cool stuff. We're gonna get into all that and kind of like what it was like working at Marvel in the '80s, which is is really fun. Yeah, and I just I love that. The work that is, you know, in her sort of wheelhouse is like gritty and funny and dark. And it's like a good mix of those things, of of like a lot of different colors in her emotional color palette. Yeah. Tremendous. All right. uh, Let's talk to Anne right now. How are you doing, Anne? Hi. Oh, I'm doing great. Thanks for having me here. Yeah. So excited. So this year is our 80th anniversary. We're celebrating so much cool stuff. And I wanted to talk to you specifically about some of the work that you did in the 80s. But before we even get there, what I always like to do when we do the show is find out what is your Marvel origin story? Everybody has a different way into Marvel, like actually being like a fan. What was it for you? I mean, for me, I answered an ad in the village voice. I know that's an (laughs) unusual origin. It's a very pedantic origin, too. I answered an ad for editorial work at Marvel Comics, and I got the job. But I had, when I was a kid, I was obsessed with Dick 
Tracy villains. I had a love of monsters when I was very young. Villains. I always loved the villains. So I think that that was my, you know, the comics that I loved when I was young were Dick Tracy and Pogo. And uh, I think I gravitated towards the villains. The villains have more fun, as we all know. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. What were your favorite Dick Tracy villains? Uh, you know, they always had these names like Mumbles and Pear-Shaped Man and Flat Top. <laughs> they were very physical. Like, what did they look like physically? Yeah. What about monsters? You mentioned them. I love monsters. Like, I love Godzilla, like kaiju monsters. Specifically for me, what was it for you? I think for me it was like the the tender place where all humans are monsters. I think it was more like the sort of misfit, you know, maybe even like mutant, you know, the the outsider that didn't fit in, that kind of more humane monster. Mm-hmm. That's pretty cool. All right, so you, you answered an ad in the Village Voice, which... For anybody who's listening, who's maybe a little bit younger, Village Voice, <laughs> I mean, I remember picking up The Voice, it was like 800 pages, and you know, you go through, I was looking at it for the show listings, like the music, the concerts and everything that were going on. It was a fat, it was like a, it was like a bath mat. It was so heavy <laughs> and fat. But, you know, you could find an apartment, you could find a job, you could find all the things you needed to survive. Romance. A romance. Though those They were kind of <laughs> dicey, those ads. <laughs> yeah, you can find anything in The Voice. So that, that's pretty cool. Uh, I want to get to working on staff in a second, but what, were you on staff before you started writing or were you writing before you were I was on staff? on staff as Jim Shooter's assistant. Shooter and was doing what at the time? Jim Shooter was the editor-in-chief so of Marvel. Full on EIC, okay. And I was his assistant, and he always encouraged me to write. And he would give me little writing chores, and he believed in, like, uh, story mechanics. So he was always like, what's the conflict? You know, what's the obstacle? You know, very Aristotelian story principles. And very encouraging to quickly start writing. Because, honestly, we had a lot of editors, but we were always short on writers. There was always a need for writers back then. Yeah, so what I find... Interesting, because I've been at Marvel now 12 years, and we don't have that practice. We don't have editors who are also writers at this point. Mm-hmm. It's it, it's sort of completely flipped around where, I, yeah, I don't think any editor is doing any writing. Only one staffer I know of has done an actual comic script, and then he wrote that with another writer. I think late. back in the day it was more like a garage band, you know, where you all had to play <laughs> something and you could get up on stage like a punk band and not even really know how to sing. In fact, I sang with a band, you know, and I didn't <laughs> know how to sing. It was like all everything was garage band, including comics. And so you you kind of had to know how to make them to edit them, you had to know how to make them. So everybody on staff wrote or drew or lettered or colored. I think my first, I think I was a colorist before I was a writer. And uh, it just, you know, you need those skills. You need to you need to feel the agony of being unable to tell a story to, in order to torture your writers into telling a story. I love that. I've never heard that said that way. That's fantastic. All right, so you're on staff. You're working with Jim. I was trying to figure out what your first Marvel work was. Was it on Bizarre Adventures? Denny O'Neill, who was... Denny and I bonded because we were both failed journalists. I think we both wanted to be journalists. And Denny had done all these great stories, like There's No Hope in Crime Alley and all these different, what they would now term social justice stories. But back then, there was just a good piece of journalism. It was street stories. So Denny and I would bond over that. And he gave me my start by giving me a bizarre adventure story. But he also encouraged me to be a documentarian, to put the streets of New York in my comics, which I did on Daredevil for years. So that was all basically mentored by Denny. And that's another good thing about having people on staff that wrote and drew because they were also mentoring the up and coming kids. You know, I was really just a kid to start writing and I even tried drawing. (laughs) Not good at it. (laughs) But you have to find out. That's what you were saying. You know, you got to know what you're not good at until you figure out what you are good at. I like that. Um, The Bizarre Adventure Story, Greg LaRocque on art. Um, I I, I like to to read. We have this great catalog of 25,000 books in Marvel Unlimited. So I'm like, I can read anything. It's not on there. There's some books that we just don't have access to. What was that story? You know, strangely, it was about a guy. I didn't really want to come out of the gate with a power character. I decided I'd give him the superpower of luck. 
Mm. So it was kind of a precursor to Longshot, yeah. uh, more of a metaphysical power. So, you know, I, I can't remember the story either. <laughs> I think he probably won at gambling and then destroyed himself. <laughs> so you, you talked a little bit about what Marvel was like in the 80s, the sort of punk rock vibe. Tell me a little bit more about that. You know, Marvel now, we're so corporate, you know, we're, we're part of a big empire, which is great. It's got so many perks. But I, you know, love hearing about the days where it was a little bit wilder. Well, I think it's it has to do with it's pre-internet, pre-email like uh, pretty much. I mean, there was CompuServe. I remember Chris Claremont would come in with these long sheets of zero of stuff that he said he i'd say where you get that it's CompuServe, <laughs> but we had the bullpen you had a colorist a letterer john ramita making art corrections marie severin sketching covers you had the whole place was just artist boards ink you know people everybody had to jam sometimes you we had late issues or multiple late issues where we would all be there doing paste up mechanicals and gluing word balloons and you know they'd drop and they'd end up on somebody's face and somebody you'd walk down the hall and you'd be like it says you know battle time it's stuck on her butt you know <laughs> let, let me go get that what comic does that belong to now it was a real i'm sort of exaggerating but it was a real like uh, collective bullpen experience of making comics you know everybody all hands on deck yeah battle time but it was not one of our books i probably one of battle our distinguished time, but, comp uh, competitions books but you also had artists coming in to drop off pages yeah, so I was you had bill sinkevich frank miller walt simonson steve ditko i mean you had like all these people just, and they'd all sit and show each other pages and it was really a great exciting time but you know, memory is treacherous. <laughs> Who knows what it was really like? Sure. That was 30 years ago. Yeah. yeah I, 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 we're, it's not like we were thinking of, oh, let's document this stuff. Let's, you know, like get a nice, you know, video of one of Sienkiewicz's multimedia pages and lay it down and like really show it off for later because you guys were just working, working, working so fast, I'm sure. Yeah. And, and you know, and often like there would be pages that had to go to the printer and if you could hold a pen, you would be filling in the blacks and somebody's inking. You would, you know, you'd just follow the little X's. And then plus there was a lot of last minute editorial. Like, oh, my God, we can't have somebody say that or that plot point makes no sense. And then you'd have Rick Parker, who was one of the staff letterers, mm -hmm. or John Morelli would be right there. Like, what do you want the balloon to say? And then paste it, you know. I mean, it was nuts. And I, I can look at old comics and I can see behind the seams of like the struggle of that moment, getting that panel together. That's so cool. I was talking with writer Jonathan Hickman recently. He's about to take over our X-Men books. And I was asking him, you know, like, what are the books that influenced you as an X-Men fan? And he mentioned Longshot from 1985 by you, Arthur Adams, Wills Portacio uh, as one of his favorites. How did that project come together? I mean, again, I think of myself as like a puppy, you know, I mean, I was so young and Arthur was so young and we just were like Louise Simonson just gave us this opportunity to create something. And Arthur would send me sheet after sheet of monsters. And I remember there was this one sheet that had all these monsters and, you know, he designed Mojo. I think I said he's really like amoral and spineless. And then. Arthur took it literally and did, he had no spine, you know, when he was in this chair. And then one of the monsters was um, this woman and she had six arms and one was bionic. And I was like, ooh, that, that one. And that became Spiral. Yeah. It was just a collaboration between two really young kids that were like a garage band making a comic. Yeah. That's where Longshot came out of. And like even looking at I was rereading that story recently and Arthur's work is so, like, it felt so much like an indie book. You know, the, the vibe of it, the look of it, I love it. It's so, so awesome. We don't, it, it feels like it's, like, we couldn't reproduce that if we well, tried. Well, it's also, you're, we were cramming a 50 billion ideas into one comic. I mean, it's ridiculous. I can barely read a page of that thing. I'm like, this is like five comic stories on one page, you know? And, you know, some stories maybe you wouldn't be able to do. I remember we did a, we decided to do a story about a guy who doesn't want to live anymore. 
and how horrible it is to even be in the same room with a superhero because if you didn't if you think you didn't want to live before now you really don't want to live and so the guy's walking around with a noose around his neck you know <laughs> Uh, you mentioned the character designs. What you initially saw, did you guys refine those further, or was it just like Arthur's I think got it was it like uh, Arthur. I mean, we talked about the glowing eye, mm -hmm. and you know, I think there was one design where a long shot was an all white, and we realized we wanted him to be an all black. The hair, the famous hair, that's all Arthur. The what was it? A mullet, a mullet. Oh yeah, I love a good mullet. It's <laughs> I awesome. I think it's even based on some rock star that he was interested in. I mean, like everybody, oh, yeah. so many rock stars at the time. Yeah, and he had four fingers, right? Yeah, yeah. It's just it, it's such a cool iconic look, and you got the little blades and everything about it. It's just it's fun. It's Spiral, you know. I my, I remember I didn't read the book until later, but Spiral showed up in like Marvel video games, and so mm -hmm. I saw her. Uh, you know, dancing, do her powers. I was like, who is she? She's so cool. And then you see her in the comics and, you know, has such a lasting impact on X-Men fans. It really is fun to see the further, like, it's fun to see Spiral and Mojo in a cartoon and in a video game. And most recently to see Typhoid Mary and Iron Fist. And it was just like, this is really fun to yeah. see something that you was just like an idea 30 years ago was suddenly in a, cartoon or a tv show yeah hey, you, you're gonna uh, you have an episode with the women of marvel where you talk a bunch about uh typhoid mary and daredevil but i did want to talk about that a little bit with you because you did like over 50 issues of daredevil and yeah i you know for me i remember those issues because the the image of mephisto in those was one of the things that grabbed me you know first you know you look at covers and you see all these things and i remember like he doesn't look like anything yeah. I've ever seen before. Well, that, again, is John Romita Jr. I mean, I think that, you know, people turn to writers because we're blah, blah, blah. But, you know, <laughs> it's the, the artist often is the equal storyteller. And they're often just, you know, the elegance that John Romita Jr. brought to Daredevil. I, w I told stories for him, for his style. And I think that that whole storyline might have come out of one of the early crossovers, Mutant... So, it was either Mutant Madness or it was one of those ones where somebody, was it they, everybody goes to hell, right? <laughs> that, yeah. I wish that was, I honest to God, I wish that was the name of it. it was, that was Inferno is, right. is the one that you're talking about. But yeah, yeah I, I actually had that as one of my notes I wanted to talk to you about because, well, we'll, we'll get to that in a second. I Please continue on working with Johnny. Well, to, to, back in the day, if somebody had an idea, there were only two crossovers, I think, at that point, Mutant yeah. Massacre and Inferno. And somebody would run up and down the office and say, you know, Marvel's going to hell. Do you want to <laughs> play? And some people would be like, I've got a five-issue epic planned out. I can't possibly go to hell. You know, whereas with me, I was more like, yeah, I'll go to hell. <laughs> so, you know, I talked to Johnny about, you know, let's bring hell to Earth and then let's take Daredevil to hell. And Johnny was just like... I got an idea. And he redesigned Mephisto for that. And I think that this comes into one of the things people complain about is that once you have your iconic version of a character, you don't like to see them change. I find change really, really fun yeah. because a great character like Mephisto, you know, you can stretch him all different. You could do a little tiny baby Mephisto, you know, and that would be interesting to me. And so if you redesign a character, take them someplace they've never been before, you're adding to the whole mythos of that character and a strong character snaps right back into place. I mean, Mephisto will always be evil, you know, even if he's like a little baby in a baby carriage. <laughs> Is this a pitch? Can we get this to see me? See me, baby Mephisto, baby, baby Mephisto. Mephisto year one. I love it. It's so good. Yeah. So you know, you're talking about people running down the halls, yelling about you know Marvel's going to hell. I noticed in the run, the book kept connecting to events and like leaning into them in, in great ways. It's like Mutant Massacre, Fall of the Mutants, Inferno, Acts of Vengeance, which. 
I the like the Ultron stuff. I love what you did with Ultron and that like the multiple personalities because he's gone through so many iterations. I love that aspect. It's of funny it. because you know you're working so fast and everything's due in a month, and you're working you know and you're an unstaffed editor. You're way overworked, so sometimes you're writing like really fast. And I still have people come up to me at conventions and go. Really? Daredevil beat Ultron with a stick? And I go, I did that, you know? <laughs> it's like the time people, someone came up to me and they were like, you had Spider-Man kill an old lady. And I said, I did not. And then they, sure enough, they show me the issue that Jim Owsley wrote where I, he's, Jim Owsley, now called Christopher Priest, super talented guy. He somehow talked me into letting him have Spider-Man punch an old lady and she died. Let's say that was a robot. Yeah. Maybe. Well, they rewrite everything. Sure. Yeah. 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 Uh, Nothing ever happened. Yeah. Everything changes, and then we go through all kinds of fun stuff. But you know, for a writer, how are you? How do you feel about threading your stories that you're you're talking about? Like, did it de does it derail you at all to have to fold in all the things you're trying to? I tell? think that sometimes you're working on deadline, and you have to shove some of your your main story ideas to the side to do the shared universe stuff. And you can feel sometimes stories suffer having to take. But then, on the other hand, it's a lot of fun. That is part of the Marvel Universe is the shared universe and being able to thread all this stuff together. So I always wanted to play. Yeah. Uh, we we got to talk about Blackheart, uh, the son of Mephisto, which the first story he comes out and he's like, like, wakes up and there's the kids around and he like murders them and Mephisto's <laughs> like hey good job kid you're doing great and then he tries to kill Mephisto it's such a gnarly character and not someone that I think a lot of fans would expect out of a Daredevil book but he feels so natural what was the what were the origins of uh, Blackheart I mean I must admit that that was 30 years ago so sure. I'm having trouble but I had I remember having some kind of a biblical thing where it was like you know the one that gets kicked out of heaven that never really wanted to be part of, I mean, the one who gets kicked out of heaven and reversing that, the one that gets kicked out of hell, and never really totally committing to evil. Yeah. So I think that even if he doesn't say it, there's, a, there's an undertone that he wasn't quite as born to evil as his dad. Yeah. I remember I picked up another book with Blackheart a couple years later, which got me into trying to find his earlier appearances, which was cool. What about Typhoid Mary? You know, you mentioned sort of how New York City played into your run on Daredevil, thinking about the real world, how much of that influenced what you were doing with Typhoid? Well, I think that uh, when you're writing a superhero comic, you really want to test your, your hero. And you test your hero with a good villain. And I, John Romita Jr. and I just decided we wanted to create somebody that would destroy Daredevil on every level. And that's, you know, then the idea came to Splitter into a personality that would go after Matt Murdock, who was kind of the cleaner, legal, I'm in court, I'm trying to fight through the law and daredevil who puts on the devil suit. He's a lapsed Catholic. He wants, he's getting the vigilante justice. So daredevil already had the schizophrenic thing that all superheroes have because they have an alter ego and they yeah. have a other persona and they put on the mask. So it was ready designed for him to, you know, collide with a female that, and she was tongue in cheek to a certain degree. She was like, Mary was super sweet and nice to the point of really what's going on here. And, you know, Typhoid was, in, you know, over the top liberated in a way that sometimes you went, does she really, really want to be that liberated? And then eventually we fractured her further mm -hmm. into, you know, this uber, you know, feminist that wanted to right all the wrongs men had ever done to women. And, you know, so... I think it just, it came out of Daredevil. She she became somebody he could play with. Yeah. Uh, there's great moments, too, with Kingpin that I love there. And, you know, talking about write, writing stuff for your artist, Johnny was just born to, like, his Kingpin is so cool and massive. It's everything he drew, he drew in that run your, is so your whole Your whole run on any book is so influenced by the artist. 
you get a sense of what the artist wants to draw and what they love to draw. You, you can tell right away what are they getting into. And you kind of adapt because they're equal storytellers. I mean, that's the, the thing is that people, you know, focus on the writers. But the artist is writing also, yeah. especially fight scenes. I mean, come on. Yeah. Give me a break. A lot of times you go from really tight, full script. And then by the time you get to the fight scene, you go... Okay, do something fun here. You know, <laughs> <laughs> were you writing full script or were you doing Marvel style? I mean, I do. I did a hybrid. Mm -hmm. I did a plot with a lot of the dialogue because I never understood how could you expect the artist to not know what the characters are saying. So I would put a lot of dialogue in, and then when it became thin, literally, was the choreographing the fights. I mean, that's like Johnny loved to choreograph fights. So you go, okay. Have at it. Have at it. Yeah. Uh, I won't test any more of your knowledge of 30 years ago at Marvel. <laughs> I, I thank you for those. That, that, there was all really just personal stuff I wanted to hear about. Oh, sure, about. yeah. Uh, but right now, you're, you're working on uh, the Marvel Universe of Superheroes. Yeah. Tell us a little bit about that project. So I was working on uh, with SC Exhibitions, who were doing touring exhibitions, and we did a, um, a street art exhibit called Magic City in uh, Germany. And then... Since it's a German company, Disney Germany contacted us saying, how about doing a Marvel? And I was just like, you know, my boss was just like, I happen to have someone on my crew that knows a little bit about Marvel. <laughs> so it, it, he works in this great way. Um, Christopher Schultz, he puts together a crew of a think tank. And so we all would go somewhere and just have these think tanks. What, what, do we, what kind of narrative do we want? You know, Marvel Comics has a built-in narrative that's much like a superhero drama. You know, we're making money. We get slammed by the Frederick Wortham, you know, the seduction. Of the, you know, we're back up again. Oh, we're bankrupt again. Oh, how are we going to... No one's reading superheroes. You know, okay, let's do one more superhero. And then, it, it, you know, so they have this dramatic arc and then on top of that starting with the early days the immigrant story jack kirby you know the original creators and the newsstand and so the exhibit itself has the ups and downs narrative it has the immigrant story and then it also has these um amazing build outs like we built an infinity room for Doctor Strange using Steve Ditko moving animations so that you can stand there like Doctor Strange and say, I can see every possible parallel universe. So you can go hang out with like the sleeping thing is on a couch. We're, One of my have... favorites. I saw it in Seattle. Oh, you did see yeah. it? Did oh, you like the show? Loved it. Oh. Uh, ben uh, was there. Ben Sanders. Yeah. yeah. So he and I walked through it together, and he, oh great! He was like, "This is I. I scanned this myself for the Doctor Strange like oh, from yeah. his comic, and you know, going through it and me being like, I've been reading. What was Marvel. your favorite thing? I, I, so much original art you know, for me is like seeing, getting up close, seeing all the different pages. Like there was um, a lot of the David Mandel stuff. David that was Mandel's in was Seattle. a great, yeah. David Mandel is like, he's like such a fan, and he, you know, he's the the great writer of Veep, the TV series now, mm -hmm. and he gave us seminal pieces. He gave us um, Bill Sienkiewicz's New Mutants. Uh, with the circuitry board. I lost it when I saw that. I, I was cried. like, how is this possible to, like, I know. I never thought I'd I see thought it up it close. I thought it got destroyed. I didn't know where it yeah. ended up. So he also had a whole issue of Frank Miller Daredevil and just said, pick Yeah, pages. those pages, when you go down the hall after Doctor Strange yeah. and the original setup, it, yeah, all the, the Daredevil stuff there. But was... seeing, like, the Library of Congress lent us the first spider-man page where he put on his and i think that to put it in a context a lot of art is done digitally now and so to see original pages from that long ago with like the glue has turned yellow and you can see the writing in the in the you know where the editor says this is stupid you know <laughs> or whatever yeah and there was some starlin stuff with lots of like, like notations notes, on the side and to see that original work so layered with the history of Marvel, plus you can go really deep in process. And we have some new stuff for... So we're moving to, to Franklin Institute in Philadelphia. We open April 12th. 
And we have some new stuff. We have that amazing Hulk cover by Jim Steranko where the logo the lo is like, we have that original. Wow. We have Jack Kirby Black Panther original. We just got the Captain Marvel, the Cree green suit. And seeing the costumes, we have Panther costumes, seeing the costumes up close and seeing the incredible work that is done on these costumes. Yeah. They're so beautiful. So, you know, we have artifacts and original art. And so it's, you know, it's been a blast yeah. to come back into Marvel this way, having to, like, learn the 80-year history. <laughs> <laughs> Just a couple of years. One of the things that I love about it holistically is that there's something for everyone. You mm -hmm. know, you, you'll see kids who only know the movies. And they'll come in and they'll look around and they'll be like, they'll get up close to the art and they're like, you can see that recognition of, oh, there's something so, there's more mm -hmm. here. There's something really cool and tactile to it. And I, yeah, it's really fun. And then we have the tables so you can go really deep. You have, we have these like tables where you can, how is a comic made? This is a plot, this is a script, this is lettering, you know, and the history and the unsung heroes and the, you can learn more about early talent. And thanks so much for being on This Week in Marvel. Sure. Where can fans find you if they want to learn more? Oh, well, right now I'm doing a comic with David Aha, who was a Marvel favorite doing uh, Hawkeye. We're doing a book called The Seeds Ooh. for Karen Berger's Dark Horse imprint, Burger Books. And it's got dystopian, optimistic with aliens. <laughs> <laughs> Very cool. Thanks, Anne. Thank you. Big thanks again to Anne Ascenti. Uh, and you should check her out the work she's doing right now she's doing some really fun stuff but uh definitely go back and reread all those books they're all on marvel unlimited yeah and then you guys should also tweet at us or social media us send us send us some dot dit did dot dits what are those called some dot dits some morse codes send us some dot dits send us a r.i.p ben morse code he's not dead he's just <laughs> not here with us yeah. um but you guys should tweet us and tell us what your favorite 80s costume from comics was if you screenshot it, you get extra bonus points because that's where the sweet juice is. Yeah. And then, of course, hashtag this week in Marvel. Or you can email them to us, twimpodcast at marvel.com, or send us a message on our Facebook page, which is facebook.com slash this week in Marvel. Speaking of Facebook, uh, we're going to go to our community section. The first one I saw, we got a message in from Lewis Tapscott Knott on Facebook. He sent a question uh, that we can't answer, but I just want to thank him for writing it. I, I see you, Lewis. I recognize you, and I appreciate you. Oh, that's so nice. See, yeah. great community here on the Twim. Yeah. Also wanted to give a shout out to Devin Young, uh, who is uh, he's he tweeted at me about how he had to stop listening to one of our pre uh, recent episodes because we were getting into War of the Realms spoilers, and he wasn't caught up. But he loves the show, and he was checking to make sure that this episode wouldn't have any War of the Realms spoilers. All right, our next message is from Samuel Lang. I'm not sure where to start with X-Men. I did some backtracking and read giant-sized X-Men number one, Days of Future Past, and Schism. What current day ongoing would you recommend? I love Iceman, Rogue, Storm, and Magic. Where to go? Um, so... This one falls in a little bit of a weird place because starting real soon, we're doing some wild stuff with the X-Men. Sort of starting over in a lot of ways with House of X and Powers of Ten. It's a brand new story. That is kind of like the perfect way to start coming up real soon with House of X and Powers of Ten. Jonathan Hickman, R.B. Silva, um, and Pepe Larraz. The That team is going to do some really fun stuff with X-Men. So, Samuel, I say that's a great place to start. Um, I would also say if you love Rogue, Rogue and Gambit or Mr. and Mrs. X, great reads. Get totally. to it. Storm, she's been in the pages of Black Panther. Yeah, the other current book, not really. I mean, there's some of the Age of X-Men stuff, but I, you know, like, that's a great story. But to jump in right now, you're, you have to, there's a lot to catch up on. Magic, I mean, the current Uncanny X-Men run, which started with number one mm -hmm. last year or a year and change ago. That one's really placed a good place to start. And also um, the more female-led X-Men team, X-Men number one w by Brian Wood uh, a few years ago would be a good place to start also. Yeah, that one's got a lot of fun stuff. Uncanny X-Men 11 is also a good jumping on point of what happened to the team. And you've got Cyclops and Wolverine. Magic is in that book. You can go from there. But oh, yeah, that's a good point. Like a lot of our stories are kind of wrapping up, moving towards House of X. So Yeah, hopefully that helps Samuel. 
All right, we also have a letter here from Mark Christopher uh, Oteza Baeza, I hope is how you say it. My dream creative team is already assembled on the current run of Captain America. I would give up an Infinity Stone, the Macron Crystal, and the Cosmic Cube, and the Ultimate Nullifier to have an Avengers book written by Todd Nahasi Coates with art by Lanil Yu and covers by Alex Ross. It's not a bad idea. Also, extra special shout out to Lanil Yu and Greg Pak for introducing the world to Wave, Marvel's first hero from the Philippines. As a proud Filipino-American, words cannot express the overwhelming emotion I felt reading New Agents of Atlas number one and seeing my culture represented in a Marvel comic. Easily my pick for the week last week and my new most treasured issue of comics, Excelsior. Oh, that's so lovely. I, The amount of love, like... Filipino Americans and folks from the Philippines mm-hmm. have for this book is so huge. And it's it's so important. It goes back to what we always talk about. We all want to see ourselves in some way, shape, or form reflected in these stories. You know, something that has made me truly happy is seeing people turning out in the cosplay for Wave already, even though it's brand spanking new because it does mean so much to people. And I think you know, that's one of the things I love about cosplay is it's just this outward show of love and fandom and a character we clearly need right now and I think is awesome. Heck yeah. Uh, at Gamer Comic Book, uh, Comic Book Gamer who's been tweeting with me a bunch, says to me and CB, why did you and CB talk about the brood? I hate those things. I will be very honest. I immediately tweeted him a picture of Wolverine turning into a brood because I'm a terrible person. Um, I kind of love the brood. I love Brew, first of all. Great. Brew, the cute brood who goes to the Xavier school. But also, it's just fun to see, like, Wolverine get pregnant. That's true. It's that's a good time. I mean, time. I've read a lot about Wolverine getting pregnant, uh, but it's a lot of NSFW stuff. And, when like, you see it in, on Tumblr. Yeah. When you see it in canon, it's great. Edward III uh, says, War of the Realms 3 was wonderful. Darderman's pencils continue to blow me away, while Jason Aaron's story is fantastic. Plus, those last few pages... This book continues to be my pick of the week. I want a white tiger with wings. But it's kind of a bad tiger. I don't mind. It's so cute. All right. Next up. Karis Pollard has uh, sent us a whole bucket of tweets. Thank you so much. But I'm going to read this last one here. This week in Marvel of the Week goes to War of the Realms number four. The art is stunning. The sheer scale and amount of action is insane. I managed to get my breath taken away and emotions wrenched again and again, even if it feels like Odin's died in practically every issue. (laughs) Kind of has. It's great. That's like his thing. He's like, I got to die. I got to get some Odin sleep. Yep. Take a little nappy nap. Yeah. Yeah. That's his jam. Chris Vaughn says, you guys should have gotten Amon Amarth to do a song for War of the Realms. This is some heavy metal, like some symphonic, wild, put on your coat, walk out in the snow, look at the Aurora Borealis metal. It's great. Why, why can't we have just like a fun Lizzo War of the Realms? He feels, oh, you don't know Lizzo? Well, you clearly have not been to a dance fitness class yet. What? What is Lizzo? It's like the most feel-good jams of your life. Is this the Baby Shark song? <gasps> Outraged. Outraged. I'm so Outraged. I'm going right to play now. you some songs later, and you're going to learn about Lizzo. Okay. Great. I'm into it. Oh, yeah. <clears throat> Last one in here is from Juan Chengo Wences, who says, Bye, evil producer Brandon, for always making sure This Week in Marvel was on point. Also, who knew you were such a cutie? Good Wink. luck, sir. Wink. I love it. Oh, my gosh. You guys, I'm writing fanfic under the table. You can't see me, but I'm doing it. Yeah. Uh, we, I, I think that's a good uh, moment to say thank you to Brandon Grugel, who uh, was really helpful in getting the show pushed off the ground in new ways uh, as once Ben Morse was leaving and I was focusing more on this show and some other stuff. So we wouldn't be doing what we're doing without Brandon. So yeah, uh, he worked with us on the Marvel After Show, too, and he's done a ton of cool stuff for podcasting. We'll miss him. R.I.P., but not because he's dead, but because he's not with us. Yeah, he's uh, he's going to live under the sea. Yep, like Ariel. Yep, or the S- Sponge Man. Or Namor? Yeah, Sponge Man Namor. 
<laughs> absorbent and fierce. Ooh, all the anyway. My mind started to go in different places. I think it's time for us to wrap it up. Uh, once again, big thanks to Marvel Strike Force for letting us announce some fun stuff. Stay tuned. Next week, we have some really cool things to, to talk about, to share, to get excited about. It's going to be a busy next month and a half for us. Um, Ryan is going to be here for 15 minutes every seven days. Yeah. Maybe. 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 We'll see. We're all going to make it work. Until then, I'm Ryan. I'm Lorraine. And this is Marvel. Your universe.